All right, I'm your man, Pastor Tim here. Appreciate you. A hundred people have been surveyed, and the top four answers are on the board. When someone mentions the king, to whom might he or she be referring? Any guesses? Elvis, the number one on the show. This was a real question just uh, some time ago. The number one with 81 responding out of 100 saying it's Elvis Presley. Anybody guess what number two is? Good guess, but no. <laughs> Heard somebody. Burger King, number four, was Burger King. <laughs> a lot of people got a Whopper on their mind. Two responded, Burger King. Number three was Martin Luther King Jr. And the second response was Jesus. Only seven people said God was their king. You know, these games are a lot of fun, and I think during the pandemic, a lot of people were turning to things like the Game Show Network just to pass the time to get their minds off things, and they were thinking about these games. But these games reveal something, don't they, about our culture and about us, some of these questions. And, you know, in our world with a thousand, I mean a thousand kind of distractions that are all vying for our attention every second of every day, it's very easy, is it not, to really have any kind of number of kings in our life. We are living in a day where people say, you must have this and you must have that. There's a lot of must-haves. That people say, these websites, especially at the holiday seasons, they ask, well, you've just got to have this in your life. What do you want? I saw an ad the other day, and a company was marketing their product as a must-have. There's a lot of must-haves, people say. A lot of these lists out there, the top ten must-haves for Mother's Day or for Father's Day. There's the must-have shoes and the must-have apps. There's the must-have out there in our life. Uh, even companies, when they hire somebody, they're looking for their non-negotiables. A person with this gift set, this kind of skill, it's must-have. Even when it comes to dating, there's must-haves. I read here recently where, you know, uh, women now have these three must-haves when it comes to what they're looking in men. Slightly shorter, they say, smaller build, and a pastor. I did the research. <laughs> but today we're going to talk about the ultimate must-have. And let's get real for a moment. Over the past few weeks, we've been in this series called I Am. And it's because there in Matthew 16, Jesus said, well, who do the people say I am? And the disciples, they kind of chimed in. They said, well, some people think you're John the Baptist. Other people think that you're a great prophet. Some people think you're a great teacher. And they said, well, who do you guys say that I am? And it was only Peter, as far as we know, that piped up and he says, well, I think you're the son of God. We're asking you, friends, the same question today. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? 
So over these past few weeks, we've been posing that question to you, asking, who is the king of your life? Who is your king? Now, the most important thing in life is what you believe about God. Because it affects every other area of your life. It affects how you deal with the past. It affects how you face the future. It affects how you live today. And you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of things out there that can distort your view of God. Let's think about that. A lot of things can distort your view of God. Lots and lots of things. The media can distort your view of God. Mom and dad, as you're growing up in your formative years, the spiritual formation as it builds, your moral development, it can be affected by family members, what other things happen to you, tragedies, terrible things like we've seen over in our country in recent times can affect and distort your view of God. Your view of God can be really distorted. Even your own insecurities, your own moral failings can really give you a different understanding of God. And you know, a lot of people are building their life on a faulty foundation, a foundation of sinking sand, a cracked foundation, not based on reality. So who is Jesus to you today? Who is Jesus to you? On this Memorial Day weekend, as we're concluding this series, with such horror and tragedy, such a world of brokenness, we need to be reminded of some things. And one thing I want to remind you today is of the love of God. You need to know that you are of sacred worth in the eyes of our Lord. And you were loved very, very deeply. I want to share a scripture with you to... Um, really give us insight, and it comes out of 1 John chapter 4. And read these words here. Dear friends, we must love each other because love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born from God and knows God. And the person who doesn't love doesn't know God because God is love. And God has shown us his love by sending his only son into this world so that we could have life through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be payment for our sin. John here in this epistle, he weaves what God is really like. He says, God is spirit, God is truth, but then he really focuses in here on this aspect that God is love. And he says, love is, is of God, for God is love. And this doesn't mean that love is God, because love does not define God, but God defines love. And the theme of everything that John writes here in this epistle is that we have a God who loves us. For the very nature of God is love. And John was absolutely overwhelmed with this incredible truth that God is a God of love. And so much that he sent his only begotten son into this world to save us. And John was just mesmerized by this and was overtaken by that thought and had Jesus as king in his life. 
You know, when I was a kid, we had a game that we would play from time to time, particularly in the winter when there would be these mounds of snow, and we called it King of the Hill. And we would get up there, and we would try to be the king on the hill, and the other kids would try to push us off the hill, the snow pile. But you know what? There could only be one king of the hill. And the same is true with God. And when Jesus came walking out of that grave, suddenly there was a lot of people saying, my Lord, my God, you really are. You're the Lord of my life. You even conquered the grave. Now, when John wrote these words here, God is love, the concept, as you know, was something completely new to the ancient world. I mean, nobody in a pagan religion, the Baal worship and all this kind of other thing that was going on, nobody would say God was a God of love. Only the gospel affirms that God is a God of love. He's a king like no other, and love is his nature, and he can't restrain himself from loving you. He loves the unlovable, and his nature can't be restrained from loving us. God doesn't love you because you deserve it. God doesn't love you because you've earned it. God doesn't love you because you've got some kind of unique abilities. God doesn't love you because of the possessions that you can give. But God loves you just because of who you are, created in the image of God. There's three things that I want you to consider as we think about God's love. And the first thing I want to say to you is that God's love it's demonstrated. Love is a verb. And love is demonstrated. And you know what? It cannot be understood and then practiced. But no, it can only be understood by practice. And it's more caught than taught. It's more like measles than it is like math. And John affirms that the essence, the very evidence of the Christian life is love. And John says this primarily... Because love has its source in God. Just as, uh, as the sun, you know, the rays radiate from the sun, love radiates from God. And I know today that most people speak of love as, I love you, I love what you want you to be. I love you what you want in your life. But God's love is different. We should know really what love is and what it looks like. And we shouldn't be deceived into really accepting the world's definition of love that is so grounded in these fleeting feelings rather than truth. And God is both a God of love and a God of justice. And I know a lot of times people have a difficult time reconciling and really understanding what God's wrath is. Wait a minute, you're telling me that God is a God of love and yet he's also, we see in the Bible, a God that has this wrath? But stop and think about it. For just a moment, you know, when you create something and somebody comes in and tears it up, it makes you kind of upset. When you love someone and you see somebody else harming them, it makes you really upset. When you see tragedies like we've seen, it's like, wow, how can someone do that to another person? And you know what? Anger isn't the opposite of love. Hate is. And the final form of hate, as you know, is apathy. If you've got somebody who is really indifferent and you're in a relationship, you know you've got troubles when the person now is completely indifferent to you. That's not the God of the Bible. The God loves you. 
God's wrath is not some cranky explosion out there all ticked off to give people this or to give people that, but it's in opposition to evil. It stands against the pain and the suffering. It stands against the brokenness of this world and wants to give us life, wants to give us love, wants to provide us hope, eternal life. Love is something you do, and God loved you so much that he sent his only begotten son into this world that you might have life, real life. And if you do not love, John says, then you're spiritually dead. Jesus asked his followers here to a more perfect kind of love to live that out, an agape kind of love, a love that isn't stingy. It's a love that's not sparing, but it's so indiscriminate. It loves everyone. Think of the incredible blessing this church is to just hundreds of families in our area. And we know we're not going to get anything back. We're not here asking for any kind of handout, but we love people through the food pantry. We're sharing God's love through stepping forward, through vacation Bible school, through all the opportunities and the ministry activities of this church. We are loving other people, not expecting things to be reciprocated, not to expect any kind of handout or to get anything from anybody, but we love because he first loved us. Duty goes the first mile, but, you know, love goes the extra mile. Now, going the extra mile, the second mile, is a biblical thing. We know Jesus was on the hillside at one point, and he is given this famous Sermon on the Mount, and then he starts piling it on how we should live our life. And at one point, he says down there in Matthew 5, And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him too. Now, the reason he's saying that is because in that day, the Romans were occupying the Palestinian area. They were the guys in charge. This Roman Empire was in charge. And so under the law, a Roman soldier could compel a Jewish man to carry the soldier's pack for one mile. So the Jews got very clever about this, and they went out one mile from the edge of their property, and they put a mile marker so they know that when they get to one mile from their property, they can drop that bag. And they would carry that out of duty. And Jesus is telling them that duty carries that pack the first mile, but it's love that carries it the second mile. This is a different kind of love. It's agape love that we're talking about. Love is not doing something for which you're going to receive a reward. God's love is holy and it's just and it's a verb because it's demonstrated. It's just not fake words. It's just not fancy statements, but it's backed up because it's God's nature. Second, when you're considering this concept of the love of God, you have to learn acceptance. God loves you just the way you are. And I know self-love and self-centeredness are usually synonymous in the Scripture. The Bible says... Love your neighbor as you love yourself. You see it in Leviticus 19. You see it over in Matthew 22. You read about it in Luke chapter 10. And the Bible hints at the meaning here, however, of self-love of that's not so negative. It's not really about conceit. It's not being self-absorbed. And this kind of self-love has nothing to do with that. But it's seeing yourself from God's point of view that you were created in the image of God. God fashioned you there in the womb. God made you and has plans for you. And God wants you to know that you are a person of infinite worth. 
And if you don't like yourself, how can you love your neighbor if you don't even like yourself? And today, most people, if given a chance, would like to change something about themselves. I mean, they would like to change. Some people complain, I'm too tall, or I'm too short, or I'm too skinny, or I don't have this, or I don't have that. And this lady asked her husband, will you love me even when my hair turns gray? And he said, why not? I've lived through the other five shades. But we want to not only change our hair color, friends, people want the plastic surgeon to change your nose or your lips or your body in some way to change you. And if you can't accept yourself the way God made you, how can you accept anyone else? How can you love anyone else? How can you love on your neighbor when you don't even, like, accept yourself? I'm talking today about loving the unlovable, those who don't have any stand, any way that they can give back to you, when you put your arms around people for what they have done, who they are, and you're just loving on people, God loves you just the way you are. But a third thing that I want to mention about this love of God is, friends, it's sustained. It's not just a one-time thing, but it's all the time. Living our life sustained day in and day out out how would you love and live if this was your last day you know not long ago I was at a wedding and it was just one of those things where you could just feel the excitement in the air everybody was like the atmosphere was just juiced up this young couple getting married and and uh, you know there was just this you could see it in the eyes of the couple all this planning all this worry, making sure everything is just right. And you could see it in their eye. And they were about to express their love for one another. And when it came to that moment, their vows, they were going to say, I do and I promise to love you in sickness and in health, for better, for worse, and in richer or poorer circumstances. But you know what? They could not prove what they had promised. There's no way to prove that kind of love until you receive it, until you step out and you say, I accept you and I want you in my life. That's the only way to take that risk and to say, yes, there's no way to prove that Jesus is Lord unless you step out and you receive God into your life. So I ask you today, who is Jesus to you, really? We're going to see more brokenness in this world. We've seen it all of our lives. And you've been around, some of you, some longer than I have, some not very long. And there's all kind of tragedy. This world is a broken place. And the only hope for you, friend, is that you come as quickly as you can to know Jesus Christ as your Lord. And it takes stepping out. And it takes receiving Jesus as your life. Friend, king. Now imagine that you have been convicted of a terrible crime and you've, you're facing the death penalty and you have one last chance to say something. What would you say? If you knew that you were going to die, you were going to be executed, what would you say? Well, it turns out that the Texas Department of Criminal Justice maintains a digital archive of every inmate's last statement before they were executed. 
And back some time ago, there was a website that analyzed the statements. And out of 534, since 1976, when they have started executing people, 417 gave final statements. And guess what the number one word was? It was the word love. 63% of those inmates before they were executed, the word love was used. There was the word heart, the word care. And most of the time, these inmates express love toward people that were on the other side of the glass. Family members that were on the other side of the glass, sometimes it was directed to the warden or to the court uh, or prison guards or different people and, and certainly the family maybe that they'd harmed. But it was the word love. And I've got some of these statements here that I took off and put up here. I love you, I love you, I love you. As he going around the room, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Take care, you all. Another inmate said, I say this with love. I'm sorry. I say this for my family with love and with God. I love you. To the family of my boss, I love you. All I have is love. How about another? I'll start by saying, I love you all. Or I want to tell you folks, there I have a love in my heart for you. Let me just say, no matter what you are going through today, friends, how much you're struggling in life, I think deep down we all have a hunger to know, to give, to receive God's love in our life. I wonder here today if you need to step out and make Jesus the king of your life. That I've never really done that. I've never said yes to God. I've been church for a while, or maybe I did when I was younger, but I need to rededicate my life to the Lord. I want to give an invitation today for you to respond. If you're here today and you're just so overwhelmed by all the tragedy and the brokenness in this world, you're just hurting inside, there's another way. We stand here today to offer Jesus Christ to you, the real king, the must-have of this world. I just want to ask you today, let's all bow our heads for just a moment. If you're here today and you just need God in your life, Pray with me. Holy God, how we ask today that your spirit of love and peace would be upon this congregation. The Lord, in this moment, as we've been challenging one another throughout this series, who do you say Jesus is? Oh, Lord, may this be the day. that some here reach out and accept you as Lord and Savior and make you king of their life. Lord, I just pray for those that are here today. 
And the Lord, right now, as they pray and cry out to you that your spirit of peace will be upon their heart and soul. And all you have to do is say, God, I need you in my life, and I want you to be the king of my life, and please forgive me of my sins, my failures, my wrong. Pray, oh God, for your spirit of healing to fall your spirit of love to permeate every area of our life and may we be those Christian followers following your son Jesus Christ in this world for your sake sharing the love of God with others wherever we go we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ